Good morning, everybody. Get around the around the pole a little bit. There's Darlene over there. All right. Well, good morning. Um, we are in Isaiah chapter 60 today, and um, we'll jump in there in just a moment. Um, I read something in my study for this time that uh, talked about this this last section of Isaiah, which we said started probably in uh, uh, chapter 57, uh, these last um, nine chapters, and it said that that these chapters were in what they call a chiastic arrangement. Now that's that's kind of a, a strange term, but it, it's it's worth explaining a little bit because I think it highlights what we'll be doing today and also in the next week or two. Uh, in in this type of literature, uh, and you'll find this in several places through the Bible, uh, important concepts are arranged in a literary structure that they call uh, a chiasm. Um, uh, from the Greek word um, for chi, that's shaped like an X. And so if you picture like an outline form, I'm going to try to do this backwards, but like um, an outline form, you know, you start on your left side and then every time there's an important topic you indent and you drop down right and you indent and you drop down and the in in our frame of reference you become more and more detailed and less um, uh, important as you indent uh, the big topics are at the top right well in this type of uh, arrangement, the as you indent, the center part becomes the most important. That's how the writers wanted to really highlight what they were talking about. So chapters 57, 58, 59, we're working to this point, which is going to be 60, 61, and 62, which is really the highlight of the whole section and perhaps you could argue the highlight of the whole book, and then 60, what, four, three, four, five, six, whatever those last um, chapters are, um, are like a, um, uh, to finish it out, uh, it completes a thought, and it, it's, it's the way that the writer wanted to leave us thinking, so to speak, but the highlight of um, the really cool stuff that he wants to say is, is where we'll start today. So it's, it's a little bit different. You know, you, we kind of like to go out with a bang, right? So we could picture those last few chapters just sending us off with inspiration and, and um, uh, you know, wonder and all that sort of stuff. That's not the way they did it but we need to hear it the way they wanted us to hear it, and that means uh, really highlighting some of these things in these coming uh, chapters. So with that little arrangement there, uh, let's look at uh, chapter 60. First one, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, 
His glory will be upon you, and the nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. These three verses really summarize what the whole chapter is going to be about. So first of all, it says, your light has come. Well, look back just a little bit to chapter 59. Uh, Let's see, where's a good verse? Verse 9. This is how bad things are in this chapter. Justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold, it's just darkness. We hope for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the while the, we grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. We're fumbling around in the dark when God's not around. But here's the contrast. Arise, shine, your light has come. So we're going to be talking about this. I mean, this just kind of tells us we're going to be talking about some good stuff here. This is, you know, this is the contrast. This is where Isaiah is saying, look what's ahead for you guys. And what's ahead of us? The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Everything that we're going to read for the most part in this next chapter has to talk about what does it mean to have the glory of the Lord. What, is, what would that look like if the glory of the Lord really fell on a place, really fell on a people? So let's look at verse 4, and this kind of starts to give some explanations of what's going to happen. And I don't know where the best place to put this is, but, you know, as we've gone through, Daddy said, our timeline here, and at various times we've talked about what's going on right now. At times we've talked about the exile. At times we've talked about uh, this is a picture of what it's going to be like when you come home from the exile. But then interposed with that have been pictures of the far off, we'll call the millennial kingdom, where uh, we get glimpses of, of everything being set right again. And this chapter, uh, if you look at it from a timeline standpoint, is in that, uh, that millennial kingdom when, when God is actively setting right or has set right uh, the things that have been wrong throughout uh, history. Uh, so that's kind of your timeline. So what happens then? Verse 3, And nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Verse 4, lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in the arms. Uh, You're going to hear about the return of the people. Why are the people having to return? Because they were gone. They were in exile. Exactly right. And if you... In your free time, if you want to um, Google uh, the the topic, the Jewish diaspora, uh, the dispersion of the Jews, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, we know that the Jews were exiled, uh, in essence, by God to Babylon. We know that they came back. 
many of them, not all of them. We know that they were in um, uh, uh, the kind of the, the area in and around Jerusalem up until the time of Christ. Of course, by this time, the, the Romans were there, and we know that uh, even though there was oppression uh, to a degree uh, in those few decades after Christ, in AD 63, Jerusalem was obliterated. They were dispersed um, uh, for real uh, in all different areas. And these migrations of the Jews has happened off and on throughout history. Even today, and I, I, I knew some of these, but I didn't know all of them, uh, the Jews settled in different broad areas. Um, there were groups, what they call the Ashkenazi Jews, uh, which were in uh, uh, Europe, northern Europe. There's a group they call the Shepherdic groups, uh, Jews, which were in Spain and Portugal. You don't really picture that, but they were in Spain and Portugal. There was a group in North Africa, and then a group in and around the Middle East. And then as world events happened, very often they had to move. Um, who came in and, and settled in Spain and Portugal? The Moors. That's uh, uh, Islam. Uh, the Jews had to pick up and move. And if you'll find these maps that have these arrows just weaving all over the place from how the Jews have been like just thrown up in a blender. It's, it's really amazing. This talks about gathering everyone back. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in the arms. Verse 5, then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. So you've got the people, the, the Jews being gathered back together. And now you've got the nations of the world not just sending their, the Jews back, but also sending sending their goods to rebuild and to uh, because this is where the glory of the Lord is right this is where God is and so all of this wealth and abundance is going to be coming as well verse 6 a multitude of camels will cover you the young camels of Midian and Ephah and all those from Sheba will come they will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar will be gathered to you. The rams of Naboth will minister to you. They will go up with acceptance of my altar and I shall glorify my glorious house. You get the idea of just a kingdom, just almost like when you see... Um, uh, in a fairy tale where you know the in a you can only do this really with animation where you know there's this montage of glitter and then all of a sudden a sudden this castle and everything amazing has happened and that would just be like a cartoon compared to what's really happening here so we've got all this wealth coming our friend Jay Vernon McGee made the point uh, they're going to be bringing gold and frankincense now that sounds familiar, right? 
Who else got gold and frankincense? Jesus. And what else did he get? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So there's no myrrh here because myrrh, as you probably know, is what they used to embalm people with. Myrrh was a sign that Jesus was going to die. Um, myrrh, we hear about in the letter to the church at Smyrna, was known, the city in the region of Smyrna was known for the myrrh that they made uh, for embalming and death. There's not going to be any need for myrrh there. It's gold and frankincense. And then verse 7, all the flocks will be gathered. And it talks about the altar. Now, I had not really thought about this before, um, but this seems to indicate that just as, it, just as the actual animal sacrifices in the Old Testament looked forward to the death of Christ, one commentator says there's going to be actual animal sacrifices in this day that will be a reminder looking backward at the death of Christ. Uh, I had not really thought of that before, and the reference that they used was in Ezekiel 40 through 44, um, where it talks about the, the new city and the different gates. And if you read, it talks about the gates that'll all the flocks will be brought in to the altar and so forth. So that's something to think about. Verse 8. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like the doves to their lattices? Uh, again, uh, I uh, enjoy getting uh, J. Vernon McGee's perspective on things. He says, you know, um, if there is a verse, this is the way he put it, he said, if there is a verse in the Bible that prophesies air travel, this is probably it. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like the doves to their lattices? Um, maybe so. Um, it's one of those little trivia things. If the Bible talks about air, airplanes, uh, uh, this, is, uh, this is your best shot. Surely the coastlands will wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. So we've talked about people coming back. We've talked about wealth coming back. Um, Tarshish was uh, known for big, big ships of the day that could really be just filled with cargo. And so here they are bringing uh, the people and bringing their silver and gold. So what else is this going to look like? Verse 10, and foreigners will build up your walls and their kings will minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, and in my favor I have had compassion on you, and your gates will be open continually. They will not be closed day or night, so that men may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve, you will... Let me re-emphasize re this. For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will perish. For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will perish. Occasionally, Dad has made reference to the fact that it seems that um, God kind of notices uh, who is kind to Israel and who isn't. And this is a, a verse that speaks to that. Verse 13, the glory of Lebanon will come to you. Of course, it was known for the, uh, all the precious woods, juniper, the box tree, cypress, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. I will make the place of my feet glorious. 
And the sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you. Those, those people that used to look out uh, you to oppress you, they are going to be the ones who will come bowing to you to be your servants. And they will call you the city of the Lord, Zion, the Holy One of Israel. You see this. The nations are coming to bring wealth and also to serve. Uh, really, the, the only options they're going to have are to either um, uh, to really be part of it or, or not. And we'll see that. Verse 15. So this shows that God is, is not going to uh, cast off Israel forever, but is going to restore. And throughout Isaiah, even though there have been times when Isaiah has said, um, you need to get right, I'm going to kick you out, I'm going to discipline you, I'm going to chastise you, but never too far away is a message that says, I'm going to bring you back, I'm going to restore you, uh, I want you back. And, and here we have it in verse 15, whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you an everlasting pride, a joy from generation to generation. You'll suck the milk of nations, the breast of kings, and you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I'll bring gold. Instead of iron, I'll bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stones, iron. And I will make peace your administrators and righteous your overseers. What has been the thing that has characterized this little chunk of land in the Middle East, its entire history? conflict right conflict <laughs> I mean you know it just what else is there to say um, all the different nations that have occupied this all the wars that have happened over a pretty small piece of land right a pretty small piece of land but what's it gonna say finally there's gonna be some peace peace will be your administrator and righteousness your overseers one of the big reasons that there has been conflict this whole time is because when there was a, a, a kingdom established by God, the people got so corrupt that he had to discipline them. But here we're going to have peace, and we're going to have righteous people in leadership. Violence will not be heard again in your land, nor devastation or destruction within your borders but you will call your wall salvation and your gates praise. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Violence will not be heard again in your land. I don't know that we can have a, a newspaper that doesn't talk about violence, even if you only get it three days a week. <laughs> Violence will not be heard again in your land, nor devastation or destruction within your borders. Verse 19, no longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor brightness will the moon give you by light, will give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. Your sun will set no more, neither will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light. And the days of your morning will be finished. Um, we started off the chapter talking about light and the source of that light being the glory of the Lord. 
here we have it again. You will have light brighter than the sun, brighter than the moon. And it's the Lord. You'll have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. Your sun will set no more in verse 20. Neither will your moon wane for the Lord will have an everlasting light. Verse 21. Then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. They will possess the land forever. You don't have to go too far back. Well, let me rephrase that. If you go all the way back, we have this concept of possessing the land. I'm going to give you a land. All you got to do is take it, right? We saw this in Joshua. We looked at Joshua. Here's the land. I just want you to possess it. I just want you to, to take it. Here, finally, it says, you'll possess the land, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The smallest one will become a clan, the least one a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Things are going to be amazing. Everything is going to be put right. Everything is going to be a reflection of the glory of God. Now, this is great, right? This is great. And we know that it's not going to be ultimately fulfilled in, in the time and space like Isaiah describes until that millennial kingdom, right? But is it all just about the waiting? Is that, is that where we're resigned to, just to hunker down and wait? Turn, if you would, to John chapter 17. While you're turning, when when possible, and Daddy and I go, tend to tend to go along with this, if there is a uh, an obvious understanding of of Scripture in timelines and and seeing things and in, in kind of roll out in real time. Uh, something that's kind of obvious and makes sense, that's generally what we gravitate to. And even if we're talking about time in a distance, even if we're talking about prophecy. But at the same time, we have to understand that sometimes there are not just the, um, the prophetic outcomes that we're looking for, but sometimes there really is a whole other layer of what's being said that does have a theological meaning, right? Um, and that's what we're going to look at here. So, chapter 17 of, of John is talked about, uh, is called the high priestly prayer. And this is where, where Jesus is really uh, praying. And, and uh, it's a, just a, a great chapter, but look 
to verse 22. It says, And the glory which you've given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. We know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, those three persons in the Trinity, which we can't really explain, but the fellowship and the glory that they share amongst each other. And Jesus says, and the glory that you've given me, as he's talking to his daddy, I have given them that they can be one just as we are one. Verse 23, I and them and thou and me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that you sent me and you love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they whom you've given me be with me where I am in order that they can behold my glory which you've given me for you did love me before the foundation of the world. Here we have Jesus as he's praying and as he is not far from the cross as he's you know thinking about um, the spiritual significance of his sacrifice and his resurrection and and what that means for the people that have come to know him and will come to know him he says i i want to I want that glory to be in them. I read, you know, when we think of the word glory, I always think of, we we hear about Moses, right? You know, he went up to get the Ten Commandments and he came down and his face was glowing and, you know, you almost picture this um, uh, special effect, um, this halo, I don't know what how you, you picture it, but when I think of glory, that I kind of think of this otherworldly sort of event effect in a way. And I don't know if that's just me, but the commentator said, in English, our word glory kind of has that connotation to it, but in, in Hebrew, that where Isaiah was writing, it doesn't mean that. They say the word for glory is really weighty and very real and very almost tangible it's a very i don't i don't really know how to go more than that but it's not imaginary it's not like a vapor it's it's really real <laughs> and when jesus is saying i want them to have that glory as he's talking about us it's not just a passing sort of thing. It's something real that we can experience now. So as we think about, like we have so many times in Isaiah, this, this now but not yet sort of thing, the millennial kingdom, that's the not yet part. That's the part that we are looking forward to. We do want ultimate peace in the world. We do want things to be right and God in control. Uh, we don't want to have to depend on our 
political leaders or our military leaders or anybody to try to bail us out, we would really like it if we could just throttle back and let God handle it all, right? I mean, that sounds very appealing, uh, more so than ever. But it's not just about that day. It's also about this day. And that's what, that's what Jesus was praying. That there would be a now part of the glory that somehow we could tap into. The other thing about glory in this chapter is that it's, it's reflected glory. Uh, the whole city is full of glory, but it's because God is there and the city is reflecting that glory. And that applies to us as well, of course. As the glory of the Lord is in us, and I, I'm going to have to, th- I, I got to admit, I'm going to have to just kind of think about that one for a while. I, I don't have it figured out for you. Maybe if, if God's told you what that really looks like now, feel free to, to fill it in here at the, end of the, at the end of the lesson. But But to whatever extent we can each come to understand what would it mean for God's glory to be in us right now in answer to Jesus' prayer, then we also have to consider what would it look like to other people if they saw that glory in us. We talk about all these people were coming from afar Just like the wise men coming from afar bringing their gifts. These people were coming from afar. These nations, these kings were coming from afar because the glory of the Lord was there. What would be the personal part of that? Again, I don't have that figured out, but I I have a few times met people whose spirit was so winsome that you just wanted to hang out with them and hear them talk and you knew it was the Lord in them you knew it was the Holy Spirit in them that was what you were attracted to so to speak right and when you you know if if Jesus' prayer gets answered in us. Um, We can really become the kind of people that other people want to hang out with because they're getting a taste of that glory. They may not know that's what it is, but that's what they'll be attracted to. And how that happens, you know, how you can be salt and light, we talk about that, right? How you can stand for things that you need to stand up for, but yet still be attractive to people who maybe need that salt and light. Um, Jesus did it, and he wants that to happen in us. Again, John 17, 23, he says, I want them to be perfected 
in unity so that they'll know about me, in essence, is what he's saying. So I think this whole chapter in Isaiah, talking about the glory of God and what that glory of God would look like when it came down to earth, should prompt us to think about now that the glory of God has come down to earth in the form of Jesus and is in us now in the form of the Holy Spirit, what's the potential there? How, how can it be more perfected? We're probably not there yet, right? But, but it's better because of Jesus so I don't even know what the potential is. But it is fun to think about. One commentator kind of closed it out. I guess I'll close with this. It says, The point is simply to say, in a variety of ways, that glory is never for oneself. It is always to be shared, given away, and reflected. This is what Christ has come to give us, the very reality of God. But just as he has given it to us from God, we are to give it back to him. As the light of his reality shines in us, it is not to draw people to us, but to God. No accolades should come to us, but to the God who shines through us. It's going to be a good day. But can it be today? Um, I guess we need to figure that out, right? Uh, let me pause there. Any comments? I was just reminded of the scripture, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of Jesus. <coughs> we focus on that. We'll bring him glory. Lord, I think it's uh, different between being a fan or a follower. You can be a fan, but he wants us to be a follower. And and it's it's, it's hard for humans to be a follower. But that's what he wants us. And as a result of that, we see some of the glory that he displays in in the things that we do. Not of our own doing, but for for him. and then Bill was bringing it a while ago when he made the statements of, about the uh, transitions. Of, it's like the difference between yesterday weather and this morning. That's that's the contrast of, of how he is as far as the things that he does for us. To me. Mm-hmm. And I do know it's it's one thing that you know the world sometimes doesn't look that favorably on you know, organized religion. And sometimes we don't even look that favorably on organized religion. But, but one of the times that the world does look favorably is very often when we're unified in helping people, like in the wake of disasters, right? And, uh, you know, our little local effort, I think, is part of that. You know, the, uh, our denomination is extremely good at that. Uh, and I think those are, are ways that can still speak uh, to the world that, um, 
that there are many of us who are doing the right things for the right reasons. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and I pray that his prayer would become more and more true in us and that through the work of your Holy Spirit, we could be perfected and we could be unified and we could uh, begin to understand what it means to have the glory of God now and what it means to really uh, reflect it, that they could see you. Father, I pray that you continue to work in us as you have, and we thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.